I can't remember the rest. What's the talk title? What appears? What did appear? How do you know it's me? I don't know. Let's see, Chisho has his uh, Western hat on also. Is that Chisho? Yeah. <laughs> you gotta you have to get up pretty early to <laughs> compete. <laughs> okay. What appears? The idea here is that what appears is not what it actually is. No matter what you put on, no matter what you take off, no matter what you do, you can't really cover up what it is. And if you try to cover up what it is, it's going to create a lot of problems for you and for others. It's all Kurt's fault. He's the one that gave me the hat. But Chase, I'm bowing. Is there a way that this shows up in forms? I was asking you today about a form that I just completely ignored and looking at the appearance of what it means to be a monk or a practitioner bowing. Very good question. Yeah, it's very important to observe the form, not necessarily obey the form. It's just a, it's a, it's a big misunderstanding, as you've heard me say before. It's very important to observe whatever shows up in front of you as it is. So you can see what it actually, how it actually appears. And that may still take some work. You still may need to look through your projections onto that to see fundamentally what it is. See fundamentally what that dynamic is, whether it's arising in your mind stream or whether it's arising in your living room or your kitchen or in your family or your country. There's a good example right there of extreme confusion. Further about that, it's a good it's a good area to ask about because you had that experience recently. Jay Zambang, you also I wouldn't I don't know, not warn, but you can't turn not form into credentials. So how do we have the softness which allows us to be a cowboy without I'm going to be a cowboy. I think it's the uh, initially it's the fixation on anything. First of all, and second of all, it's uh, the fear of of what something fundamentally is of, of being fearful of what might show up of feeling unprotected, unprotected uh, from our mind stream, unprotected from our community, our family, our, just how we appear. A lot of room for questions is uh, something, uh, I think I wore a cowboy, a cowboy hat once, what, 10 years ago or something like that. And then I wore musketeer ears one time. So out of uh, eight or 900 uh, Dharma talks, I've had a couple of costumes, besides the costume of a monk, which is also how something appears, but not what appears. Go ahead. I'm buying. what is this, the strength of the forms that is not fundamentalism? When, when one uh, greets the form or meets the form or sees the form as it is, rather than trying to twist the form into another shape, either to make it do something else or condemn it, get rid of it based on one's previous ideas or standards about it. A lot of contemporary religions, some some of them are Buddhist, some of them are, are um, more uh, a theistic orientation, usually. But it's about trying to control. It's about, about trying to be in charge. How does appearance help us to see the truth? How something appears, how it appears is, uh, is can be seen for actually what it actually is, but what we do with it based on fear, based on trepidation, based on some kind of insecurity, because we, we can't really find a reference point. So we grasp at this, reject that or shut down on anything to give us some kind of temporary artificial, uh, conditional uh, security from uh, not knowing or from otherness or from a threat or from that whole paranoid aspect of the consciousness. You know about paranoia. You deal with it all the time. Am I correct? About what if that? What about this? What about that? What if they do this? What if I 
don't understand that and it takes me uh, by surprise. So what appears, the practice of sitting meditation is about seeing through training your mind by watching what continues to appear until you actually see that what you've been looking at is your projection of it based on fear. It could be a very low level of fear that at once was very, very high level and you developed enough barricades and walls, muke geko, as it says in the heart sutra, walls of the mind. We set up barricades against uh, sometimes called opinions, ideas, beliefs. We generate those to protect us from the unknown, creating a stronger and stronger identity of I'm over here and I'm okay or I'm over here and I I know, don't know much about art, but I know what I like. And it's not Picasso. Well, in my case, it is Picasso. One. More room in there. Did I frighten anyone? Nauseate anyone? Go ahead. Jeez, I'm bowing. I have a question about what what is a teacher outside of um, a form and appearance? Bowing. Hey, more. So we relate to you as our teacher, and there's the structure of, of the order of immediate light and the Soto Zen lineage. So there's there's form, and then there's appearance as in the way you look, the robes you wear. And it seems like you've said it's necessary. Like if you were just on a street corner wearing this, people probably wouldn't relate to you. But I'm wondering, what is what is the teacher? Well, they might, pardon me for interrupting, but they might relate. You might relate to me, but it would be a different kind of student, a student who's looking for something outlandish. Uh, that's actually how I was able to have access to Chogyam Tungpa Rinpoche because he was, uh, he didn't look like a monk. He looked like somebody in a golf shirt smoking cigarettes. Whereas the, the llamas I had met at that point were too scary. They were too spiritual, too, you know, they would be able to see right through me. Whereas this guy's, more like me. And then I found out he drank sake. And then I was even more, felt much, much safer. Big mistake. Feeling safe, that is. But not safe. Yeah. Is there something occurring that, that functions beneath the form and appearance? You could use the word beneath, but it, it may appear that way until you see it. And then you see that the very form and the appearance was not separate from what was beneath. It, it, the not-to-ness, the advaita, non-duality, goes all the way. Any kind of polarity is not-to, including that one. Existence, non-existence, life and death, pain and pleasure, cowboys and monks. Kozan bowing. Kozan. In reading the third tenant of the order of immediate light, have you got that memorized yet? Um, not like Juzon does. <laughs> Where's Juzon? Juzon, where are you? Go ahead, finish your question. In the in part of the third, well, I could read the whole thing or just the sentence with, in question. Though they are observed, nothing is gathered, nothing is held, nothing is rejected. This includes any and all forms uniforms or traditions of the Buddha Dharma. What is meant by uniforms? Outfits. Some, some kind of a, a, a form that is unified. Something that's always doing something the same way every day. The forms tend to fluctuate with the, the person that comes in. So we have a certain form, but if someone comes in, uh, they can't, uh, they can't, uh, handle incense. That's a form. You could even say it's a uniform. But but if someone comes in who can't, who can't, uh, who is allergic to that, we, we might offer the incense, but we immediately put it out based on that changing situation. And that actually be, will begin to apply. If you understand that, it'll begin to apply to your own uh, meditation practice. But I'm not talking particularly about, you think of a bunch of new ideas about how to practice. But you you do a, it's a situation that shows up. Uh, Jason, you were just giving an example of you went out to the black stag with the intention of, of practicing for three hours, and you didn't do that. 
So how do you understand it now? Just observe. Just, just watch what happens rather than obey some kind of form. Even the people who live here as monks and are observing these forms, uh, I don't think particularly, I may be missing the point here, but I don't think anyone is feeling like they're uh, obeying something. They're seeing the form, they're making that form their own, and they're understanding how valuable it is, how valuable it is to um, relate with body, speech, and mind to a particular form over and over and over again, day after day, week after week, so that you can see more clearly that which is uh, a disturbance or that which is uh, asymmetrical with those forms. Further questions? If it will help, I'll go get my robes back on. But we can see how much we're affected. I'm not saying it's, uh, I'm not saying it's uh, destroying anything or particularly that way. But it's, I just had to do that as soon as I found out that Rusheen was going to attend. Just, just kidding. She's online. Does it feel any different for you to sit in front of us without your Raksu on? Sure, it does. But not much. I still feel foolish. It's more, it's more looking at your faces. <laughs> and then, of course, as soon as I sat down, I thought, oh, people will be surprised. Well, Chisho was not surprised. Chisho had a cowboy <laughs> probably laying right next to it. <laughs> Kurt, did you tell him? No. Chisho, <laughs> I, I am sitting right next to my hat closet bug. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't take you long to get to it. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin Bowing. Yes, sir. How do we work with uh, when we become aware that others are projecting a, a certain personage upon us that doesn't seem to resonate? How do we work with another person's view of who they think we are, Bowing? Very, very uh, wonderful question, really. Just receive, and it would be uh, situational dependent upon that person, on the ongoing, you know, this is very common with parents to do that to their children as the child is growing up and becoming their own uh, personality dynamic or whatever, uh, and, and maybe even trying to get free of the parents. The parents tend to project more heavily. Uh, not always. But I would say uh, just to uh, responding in a general way to what you're asking about, not much. Just receive, just that you know that someone is doing that as powerful awareness, because then that that helps you understand what the positionality is of that person, and might even give you some glimpse of what you're doing to them, because they may you are probably doing that to some extent to them. But I say, as you've heard me say 500 times, it's not about getting rid of anything. Don't get rid of anything. Watch what moves. Watch what comes and goes and comes and goes. And don't interfere unless you, you have to, unless you have to step into it. Just watch the movement. And this is a what Jason's saying. You went out with the intention of practicing. You, you practiced uh, for an hour. You practiced uh, a mantra, chanting for an hour, 30, excuse me, 30 verses, and then uh, and the way I'm understanding you, the assumption was you would probably meditate for a couple of hours. And is that it? And you didn't. All you did is wander around inside the house. Anything else? Drink some bubbly water. You didn't tell me that. <laughs> so what am I pointing to here is saying that, you know, that's uh, that may be a little bit uh, confusing possibly to see that. But it sounds to me you did, you did exactly what you were observing the form and what you were observing is that you were not aligning yourself with that form. But it didn't, knowing you like I do, if I, uh, I can see where if you, that you actually made that the form as an awareness practice for you, whether you liked it or not. Because you, you just, your body was more intelligent than your mind stream was. Go ahead. Chase, I'm bowing. In watching that, what is the sense of guilt? Even though you say time and again, it's it's just about awareness. It's not about obeying. But there's still, what is that guilt around not succeeding? The guilt is just showing you that there's somebody, an imagined somebody, who is so self-centered 
that they think they can do something wrong. They think they have that much say-so. Same thing with shame. People who are incredibly shamed can be shamed by others. But if you see who this is, there's no way you can be shamed. You don't have that much say-so. You don't have that much. You're not that important, is another way I've said it. None of us are important. And from the point of view of something like, I'm so ashamed of what I've done, or, or I'm so sorry for what I did to you. Not that you shouldn't be sorry or be, apologize to somebody if you accidentally knocked over their bubbly water. Of course, you might say that, but it would be a very simple situation. Whoops, sorry about that. I didn't mean to do that. And of course, you don't, we don't mean to do anything like that. But isn't it interesting that we often say, sorry, I didn't mean to do that. Well, it would be pretty odd if you said, I meant to, I'm sorry, but I meant to knock over your bubbly water. That might be even more accurate. <laughs> I really hate you. I just, it just started to come out all of a sudden how much I, you disgust me. <laughs> so that's kind of a hard one because it's, it is a conceptual situation where you're saying you're not that important. But we tend to take that, the pride situation can so easily collapse into shame. But if pride is there and we're maintaining it, then that's more kind of acceptable. We're up, we have, uh, sometimes it's referred to as self-esteem. And in, in society, in our society, you might need some self-esteem. But on the spiritual path, you don't need self-esteem. Chopin, what does it look like to function without pride or shame? If those dynamics, uh, if this, if, if it, if it is a situation that commonly, ordinarily would bring up one of the two, success or terrible, miserable failure, and and there's no pride or no, there's no shame, then nothing occurs. Even though even though you're doing something or you're you're painting the the deck on the back of your house, something goes wrong or something goes right. Say you do that and you use a wrong kind of paint or something like that. And it, and it starts to come off with an, it rain, it rains and the whole thing washes off because it was the wrong stuff. You're smiling. because apparently you've done that, right? I'm just thinking of your deck. Yeah. Big mistake. <laughs> yeah. I'm so ashamed of you guys for <laughs> using the wrong crap on my deck. So I'm just using that. It's kind of simplistic, but it's like that. It's like there's no success, there's no failure. So the pride and shame, this doesn't mean that something didn't occur that was maybe a mistake, but your understanding is, is it doesn't, it doesn't uh, pass go and collect $200. It doesn't go anywhere. It just sees what it is. There's no one there who's seeing. There's no one there who's seeing the problem, although the problem is seen, but there's no one collecting guilt. There's no one collecting pride. You just function. And if you do this, then you can save all beings. You can, and then you can actually be with people without making their lives worse, including your own. Same as if you do something completely correctly or magnificently or any other superlatives there, you would, you would, you wouldn't necessarily puff up over it because you just did that. It's very simple. You just did what needed to be done. And uh, return to your original place with no no credential. Shukwang, sometimes you say, uh, be the shape you're trying to get rid of. Mm -hmm. uh, we have an awareness practice in that shame or that pride is um, just there. Uh, can we... Does it fuel this, the Shokobang? I guess the, the last couple of days I've been thinking about my dad and growing up, if something happened that was completely outside of his control, he would beat himself up thinking that it was his fault or making it his fault. Mm -hmm. and you understand that's ego. No? No, okay, go ahead. Um, and I remember saying that I didn't want to be like him, but that's part of my dynamic too, that, that guilt is so strong and I just, yeah. I don't know how to, to function without fueling that. Do you know how you feel it, first of all? 
control. Uh, you control everything as much as you can. You control things. Not that others don't do something similar or maybe something uh, differently, but th that would be your dynamic. And you already know that. Shokobine, what is it that's trying to be controlled to such an extreme that that guilt is so pervasive? Imaginary, an imaginary identity that can fail or look bad or, or be wrong and look bad to others that people can point the finger at, that you can feel ashamed, feel wrong. There isn't anyone. You're not that important that you can even, you're not in charge of anything. We're barely in charge of our own uh, meals. We're so conditioned by otherness. <clears throat> this is why uh, this is why awareness practice is so important. It gets us, when you become a Buddhist or not, or a, or a monk, or but to to sit down and just watch the movement of the mind, so that you eventually get to see the way in which anything that appears, whether it's thought patterns, whether it's patterns out in your life that that you or me or we're all adding something onto that, we're actually covering up the very pristine nature. Of, of every moment, anything that, uh, that is arising has never happened before. It's completely unique and new. Christine bowing. Christine. I feel everything that comes out of your mouth is an answer to the question I haven't even asked yet. But what I want to know is if something like shame is, comes as naturally to me as my breath, how do I how do I redirect my breath to not go there? Don't, don't don't worry about going there. It's not about a control. It's about awareness. So what I would say to you is, and and I you know I would have to we'd have to look at this uh, maybe more together. I'd have to understand more about your individual practice. But just be ashamed. Just be be ashamed for not from now on. Be ashamed forever. Be ashamed for all beings. Feel the emotion that you'd like to get rid of uh, on behalf of, of beings who have no idea about there is, there, that, that it, it even is a misunderstanding of the nature of the mind, that there is no solid being here. Mm. And shame will conti continue to feel like, yes, I'm the one who's ashamed. I'm the one who's wrong. <laughs> I'm never going to get this right. Uh, you know, Other people seem to do okay, but I am just full of shame or some people are just full of dread or they're full of uh, remorse or they're full of full of full of full of full full of because without that that whole thing starts to empty out and when it empties out if you have no spiritual path um then it can come out as claustrophobia agoraphobia or some kind of phobia about otherness otherness but if you have a spiritual path you are directed through the, the direction through the through the teacher to look at this don't run this way or that way and run into trees, but look right at what this is. See what it is yourself. Awaken yourself. Awaken yourself. You awaken to this, not something you believe in. So I would just say, look at the shame. Look at the texture of the shame. Uh, include that. Just like you say, it's like your breath. So the downside of that is, geez, that must really suck. But the upside of it, of it is, look how close you are to seeing the way you fabricate, fabricate a self that is wrong. That's just as di difficult or challenging or false as someone who fabricates a self that is always right and always shining and always and perfect. And no matter what they do, they have a reason why they did it. Well, I did that because look what she did. Of course, I'm going to do that. This happens or that happens. And they always have a no matter what happens, they always have a little backup, usually conceptual, emotional, whatever, that says, not my fault. I'm, I'm doing my best. Can't you see? I'm doing everything I need to do. And then this all fell apart, but it wasn't, wasn't me. Whereas someone in your dynamic might say, as soon as something falls apart, even though it's down the street and around the block, 
you know, you're immediately thinking how you could have, if you just had helped them, <laughs> it's your fault that everything came apart. And of course, I'm using those extremes, but it's like that. There is no solid being. But how do we function or how do we function on the path um, when we do go to those extremes? And do anything with it. Just, just uh, when I say let, I don't even even word let is extra. Let that right away. The ego hears that word let, and it wants to join right in. And I'll be the one who just lets things happen. I'm being a little bit silly here, but I'm saying, ah, uh, no, just just do it. Just do that. Just see that, and don't feel it. Uh, the way that will feel in the in the mind stream or in the consciousness. Uh, sends off alarms to the to the self-centeredness of the seventh consciousness or the the paranoid part of the mind because it knows something is happening that it's not having any say so about, and that's scary, irritating, uh, and alarms start going off there. So don't let, just don't grasp, don't reject, don't shut, don't do anything, do as little as possible, and if you're going to do something, get to the wall. And all you're really doing when I say get to the wall is just, I could do it right here. And if I do it, I'll fall asleep. Why do I fall asleep? I'm old and tired. It's not because I'm not worthwhile <laughs> or I don't practice enough for, for some kind of reason, even though there might be some kind of reason somewhere. I sit down, hold still. We'll still sit in a place where you're by yourself or in a zendo where you're always by yourself. Look at something where nothing is moving and watch the, and uh, just to use the example of shame, just watch the shame or the pride or the puffiness, that which is harder to see because it's, it's, uh, it's, it has a positive kind of dynamic to it. Whereas the negative ones, it's more easy, it's easier to see uh, how. We must be doing okay because at least we're ashamed of all the mistakes we've made. Questions? Hey, Shadan, how, how do we relate with what something is when we just have our, or when we're kind of hypnotized by our projections or how something appears? So just look, look at your statement or when you look at your question, how can we? do this when we're hypnotized. You're aware that you're hypnotized. That's a lot. You have an awareness that you have just been entrained by something and bought into something that just wasn't the case, but there was some kind of immediate uh, situation you were in where you where you believed it or you went in there. And I would say, just, just keep going. It's just a matter of, uh, uh, of continuing to just don't give up. Return to anything that works. Uh, return to the setup that we have here. The structure is the the Buddha, the Dharma, the Sangha, and mind training. Just keep doing that. Your your very question tells me you're you're practicing. I don't know if, if I can tell you any more. If you ask a different question, I might be able to respond in a way that would be more helpful to you or more helpful to others. But right now, all I can say is you you are doing this. You're, it's like uh, it's like you're, it's like you're on a train going somewhere, and you're pointing out the window at all the stuff that's out there, and you say, "What do I do about all that stuff?" I would say, just ride on the train, keep sitting, keep practicing, return to the the teacher, the teaching, and the community. More, but you should go on. I think I'm thinking about. Communication specifically, if I want to clarify something, it feels You're like. You're not going to be able to clarify anything. Why do you have the name you have? What makes you think you can clarify anything? Go ahead and ask your question. I feel like if I go into communication with a projection, I might see that, but then I'm confused and don't know how to proceed with the communication because it brings up another projection. So I'm not sure about the process of clarification. 
and communication always. I, I think I'm following what your question is, but it looks like it's something you're going to have to do rather than I, I can't come up with a particular protocol or or way of working with that other than just to continue what you're doing. You couldn't ask a, uh, your question. You're clear enough about what's happening. that I'm saying you're probably looking right at it. It's just frustrating. And so rather than turn away from what you're looking at, which is including the frustrate the, the frustration, just observe, just look at it, just receive it. The Buddha didn't uh, beat around the proverbial bush. He said, life is suffering, not part-time. This also didn't, he didn't say full-time, but he said that life is suffering. And for some people it is full-time just because of the whole dynamic that they're in. And the way it's arising for you uh, in your communications is there's a suffering part of it. And that suffering part of it, uh, the way you're asking the question is like, what do I do about that? And I'm saying scenery, it's scenery. It's this that we personalize it into, uh, not that we're personalizing it and making it painful. It's painful uh, by itself, but we're personalizing it by thinking that we shouldn't feel that or we need to get rid of that or we need to stop that so we can have this clear communication. Follow me? More? Tell me. What? What is happening when um, I feel like it may not be real, but I, I feel like there's a tension between practicing and spending my time pursuing some of the medical credentials that I am? Mm -hmm. what's, what's the, what do you want to know? What, what why do I feel like there is a tension between those two things? What is that? If I tension between two things, that's what it is. But the why thing is, is extra. Why takes you out into a because you can f probably find some, uh, and you're a therapist. So you, you run into that situation all the time with clients. Why do I, why do I feel, why do I have, why do I stop? Why do I start? To do that. And so we do our best, especially with people that aren't ready for some kind of mind training. They're, they need to have some kind of a, of a solution uh, of some, something they can do about it. And I'm talking to you as your student of mine and your meditator. And I would say, just look at it. Don't necessarily go away from what is showing up or how to fix it, even though you may ha might have to work with your clients in that way, in a relative way, because that might be all they can really relate to or understand. Are you follow me a little bit? Why why does it feel like pursuing that additional medical training for folks who may or may not meditate or the spiritual path may or may not be for them? Why does it feel like as your student that is wrong? Like I should be putting my time like, like I should give that up. Give, give up meditation? No, give up, give up that, give up the training. No, 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 don't do that. No train, train, meditate, meditate, practice, study, train your mind to see clearly. And one of the things you're seeing clearly is that particular dilemma. You're starting to see that very clearly. Not everyone is ready for this path. Most people are not ready for this kind of a path. And it's just difficult to do this. But you're here, you're doing it. And of course, I'm biased here. I say continue no matter what, continue to train your mind, continue to return to this situation, train your mind to see clearly so you can relate to the literally millions of people or thousands, whatever you hundreds that, that don't have this, that, that karmically don't have the option to do this. They need to have help where they're at and you through meeting, meeting yourself where you're at, you can meet anyone where they're at. If you know who this is, if you can do this, I know who this is. I have no doubts about who I am or what this is anymore. You can meet anyone because it's, there isn't anybody but them. But what's happening when I feel like continuing that path of the medical training feels safer for me 
but the uh, even like the idea of giving that up and practicing more or doing more, it feels really terrifying. Do both. You don't need to know why. If you, if you go into why, it just gets complicated. It's, it's not that you couldn't, I couldn't, or anyone couldn't come up with some kind of idea. If you talked to Senchu, then you went and talked to, what was your name again? <laughs> if you talked to different people that work with people in, that are in your field, you'll come up with different ideas around that. But you're asking me about it, and I'm saying, do both. Don't worry about why. Train your mind. Return to the cushion. Don't do anything unless you have to. And if you have to get that training, if it keeps showing up, probably that's what you need to do. And the, that will that will work out its own combination. It will come together exactly as it needs. There's nothing to correct. Everything is functioning perfectly. I'm not saying there isn't a lot of misery and craziness in the world. But fundamentally, it's functioning as what? Dependent origination. The stuff that started 1,500 years ago is showing up in the Ukraine or in Russia. It's, it's has a cause, it has causes and conditions that are uh, keep coming forward over and over and over again. So, but you can work with that. You can return to square one as uh, Trunk Rinpoche would uh, refer to sitting meditation. Just, just return to just simplify, sit down, hold still, watch the movement. So that when you do get up and go into your special training or whatever, that there's a clarity about the resistance. Follow me? You're clear about the resistance. Much better to be clear about the resistance than to get rid of the resistance and and cheerlead yourself into doing that. Follow it a little bit? Okay. Go ahead, Teresa. Teresa Bowen. When I saw you come in with the cowboy hat and the shades, yeah. it there was a negative that rose up before I could even think what it was. Yeah. It's like a that's the idea. Like a flashback. <laughs> Go ahead. What is what is that like flashback that happens before we even the thought process kicks in? Um, it's just the way the, the way the mind works. It the mind, especially if there's fear based or open fear or any of that has uh, not been seen through, then as soon as you see anything, uh, we, what's the common way of saying it? We jump to a conclusion. We can't handle the openness of not knowing. So just like when I was at seminary in 1980, uh, whom, whom I had always seen with a full head of black hair, he came in in monk's robes with his head totally shaved and, uh, well, everyone was saying, oh, who's this visiting monk coming in? And it was our teacher. And he, they did a processional kind of thing up to the front of hundreds of people. And it was a while before you actually realized, no, this is, this is him. It was, uh, but, but the projection onto that is uh, it's actually helpful to see that how quick we are to judge something or evaluate something. Somebody walking in here where everyone's wearing black, somebody walking in here in a red shirt with a cowboy hat on and shades. You might think, what the hell's he doing? Anybody else have any difficulty with that other than Dr. Go ahead. Michelle Vine, it was just interesting that I had the exact opposite reaction than Teresa, that you like this for me there's a little bit more of a comfortable feeling as mm -hmm. opposed to um, your usual usual stick up my butt kind of action that I, <laughs> <laughs> I <don't> quite say that. <laughs> <laughs> but, 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 but it was just an immediate just kind of like a Did you, you know it was me oh, yeah. yeah because of the yeah and, yes. <laughs> any other uh, any other comments on on that kind of reaction? I think what uh, Teresa is uh, pointing out, and Michelle too, is that is that we look at something and we we immediately move into oh this is this is kind of disturbing, or we move into oh this is more, more comfortable. So it just it's just and it shows right here in this uh, zendo. It shows how many different ways this can show up. Uh, I notice who laughs and who doesn't. 
Just like if I tell a joke, you can imagine how upset I get when I tell a joke and no one laughs. And then you should say, you tell jokes? <laughs> <laughs> Question? Question? Anyone else in here? Anyone, anyone on uh, Zoom have a, have a uh, joke or a... <laughs> Terry Bowling. Go ahead, Terry. Probably is a joke. Um, so, so my question is, just using shame as an example, how do you work with when the, that flash happens? Like, well, of course that's true. Like with the belief system itself, I, if I didn't do this or I did do this, of course, that I would feel that shame would be there, or whatever the emotion associated with what's going on. What well, I'm not sure what your question is. Um, so, how do you work with the belief system that shows up that appears so uh, uh, real and and correct about it? Well, you, you just by the way you ask the question, you already see it's a system, and it's a system of beliefs or ideas of right and wrong, and we're all uh, have been uh, downloaded into this uh, society with certain kinds of structures and so on. So uh, we realize that these are these are just invented; they're made up. It's not that a that a, a belief or something can't be uh, accurate in the sense of it functions in, in a certain way to protect us or to protect children or protect uh it's not that it doesn't have a relative uh, structure to it it does it's when we clamp down on it and we and we torture ourselves and torture others who are not uh paying attention to that in the way that we think they should or and so on just a, it's a it's just we uh we set up standards society sets up standards sets up sets up rules and laws and so on. Believing that those things are correct and other things are incorrect. Any further questions? We can always close if you're if you have any. Jessica, you have a question? Jessica Bowing. <clears throat> I've heard you say that if you see what this is, it's ordinary. It seems like it's ordinary to believe and disbelieve things as they show up. So what do you mean by it being ordinary, bowing? It's difficult to, because of the way you describe your your idea of ordinary. Uh, I'm just saying there's there's nothing special going on anymore. There's no and there's nothing hidden. It doesn't mean that you know what's uh, what's down a dark alley or what's uh, down in a a tunnel underground it doesn't mean that you have that relative kind of knowledge, but your fundamental understanding has been clarified. So, uh, so therefore, it's since there's nothing special, uh, then we just we just function that way. So, there's nothing hidden from you anymore. And things get hidden based based on fear. We cover them up. We're we're afraid of the unknown. So we we form an opinion around it, or we just ignore it, either passion or aggression. If those don't work, then we just shut it off or distract ourselves from it. Or, or And you can distract yourself into a belief in something else that will cover that whole thing up. Even scientists who, who claim to be extremely objective, uh, one I'm thinking of, and I don't want to pick on him uh, too much because he's passed away, but Carl Sagan, a very famous uh, scientist who you would think, well, he's a scientist, then he's going to look at the facts. No, not quite. Uh, before he even investigated some some uh, 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 ancient uh, way of understanding that is commonly called astrology, which is just a, the study of cycles, uh, he actually w just shut down on it. I, I can't quote him or anything, but he just there was no. I think when he was asked about it, he just poo pooed the whole thing. Just instead of actually. Being a little scientific about it, taking a look at what, why, what is this, or what is the I Ching, or what is the, uh, what are tarot? Why do tarot cards seem to give the impression of knowing something that we we don't have a common uh, access to? So clamping down on something like that, uh, even though when someone is a, is a, a scientist and is 
supposed to be objective, they still have their dark alleys. They don't want to go down there. They might have to look closely at a, a different understanding than what they're used to. Choo-choo. Question from Isaac. Go ahead, Isaac. Is there some importance or form with monks and their shaved heads? What is that? Um, Maybe, I don't know. There's there's probably a lot of information. It's called, was it tonsure? And it happens happens in monastic traditions, not in just in uh, Buddhism, but everywhere else. Something about, I think, a significant, the signification is there that you're giving up the worldly life or materialism. Takodo, do you know more about that? All right. <laughs> Very rare for my son to agree with me. <laughs> but yeah, just so it's symbolic. Uh, um, uh, there, there's probably a lot of information in there. I mean, I think it was the Catholic uh, monks would shave a, a little circle in the back of their heads. The, the tonsure, like the crown of thorns. The crown. Oh, that's what that was. And then what is the, does anyone know what the, the, uh, in Judaism they were of? Yarmulke. Yeah. Is that what it's called? And, and does anyone know the history of that or what that's about? So is there something else, uh, Isaac, that you wanted to understand about that or something you wanted to know that perhaps I could respond to or somebody could? It's, it's symbolic. You come in just like sewing robes. It's symbolic of uh, sewing a, a garment so that you can uh, disconnect on some way from the worldly life, the, the life of the eight worldly dharmas of gain and loss, pain and pleasure, success and failure. All of those things where we want something, we want that, and we want to stop that and make, get more of this. Materialism, it's commonly called. As a monk, the monk, the idea there is to change your attitude about how you're living and dedicate your life to others, to helping others, save all beings. Question from Adriana. Adriana. When I haven't meditated in a while, it feels like there is a lot of noise in my head. When I sit to meditate, however, it turns out there's not that much there. What is that feeling? You pretty much described it. Just a contrast between um, sitting and holding still and things, if you do enough of it, things tend to uh, die down, but that's temporary. Eventually the boundary between the sitting practice and meditation, shikantaza, shamatha vipassana, shini and laktang, or however you want to, any of the other practices, the boundary between those, the contrast between those two go away. They're they're not different. Whether you're meditating or whether you're you're in the kitchen uh, making a sandwich or, or talking with the next door neighbor. Everything is arising as forms, which you're not grasping, rejecting, not doing anything with it. Might look like it. Is how something appears. Is that hiding something? Probably. Some, something appears a particular way. So there's some kind of a showing up, like I'm showing up as a, you know, as a clown. <laughs> so I'm showing up in a, in a, because it's how something appears. But what is actually appearing here, uh, as far as I'm concerned, is a, a Dharma teacher, no matter what I'm wearing. So I can, but that doesn't mean that I can go downtown, sit on the corner and, and teach the Dharma necessarily. I'm not saying that hasn't been done. I think you've also said we don't have to look um, for the depth. We can just look at the surface of yes. something. Surface is the depth. So is the appearance the same as what it's hiding? Yeah. What is your Dharma name? Your appearance. Your appearance. Why do you think you have that name? I have no idea. That's why you have it. Yeah. What is pure appearance? Nothing else. It's completely unstained, unsullied, 
just that, just that. No laminations, no projections, no nothing. It's just that. And sometimes that's called a mirror-like wisdom. It's like a mirror. It's like looking at yourself everywhere. If you see that, you may teach, you may not. But if you teach, you'll teach out of what you're seeing rather than what you know. You're actually free from what you know, even though you might have a degree in mathematics. Isn't your degree in archaeology? Nope. Is it in library science? Cool. <laughs> <laughs> we could change them out. You know, I I think it's in uh, Tibetan language. <laughs> what is it? In? No. No, no. Numbers. More about that. I there's like questioning feeling, but no content. So what will you, you will actually know what is in front of you, no matter what comes through the door, what falls in your lap, you'll know what it is immediately. You won't have to speculate on anything anymore. This doesn't mean that you won't get, be getting ready to buy a car and you might look between two different cars and the prices. And you, this doesn't derail your just fundamental pragmatism, but your but the the, the deep uh, surface. But the deep nature of what you're looking at is apparent. You see what it is. And I've used, there's two words I use all the time. I'll use them again, not separate. You see that everything you look at is not something else. It's empty of otherness. And it's, it, it is not exactly an experience. These experiences like this one, you come along, it's an experience. And they go away. But what you're looking at that doesn't go away. How is that confidence that what you're about, what you're looking at, how is that different from just a relative confidence of how, how could it be any other way? I'm seeing it clearly, that kind of commentary on what we're seeing. Because it's continuous. And relative confidence is based on right and wrong or on proof. And uh, Unconditional confidence is just that. Not there's no conditions that you just you know it. You see it. You're not separate from it. You're looking at it. You're always looking at yourself, not the narcissistic, self-centered, grasping, jealous, um, angry, controlling, demanding self, but the self that has no requirements, no demands, nothing. Doesn't even need to live. It isn't even actually a, a form anymore. It's not a living form anymore. How do we see that confidence in the midst of just totally believing what we're seeing? So the way you're making the statement, you realize that you're believing what you see. Just continue to look at not only what you see, but that you believe it, that, you're, that there is a, a grasping and a, a, a believing something is covering it up. If something happens, it comes up and it's uh, might look like its entirety, but it's coming up in parts and you believe it because if it comes up in its entirety, you'll see what it is and you're not separate from it. So it comes up in parts. So we tend to believe something is over here or over there. We grasp, we clutch onto it out of fear of the unknown or out of um, uh, grasping or greed for what we want. And since you're able to describe it with your question, uh, I would say just continue to look, continue to return to the wall, continue to return to the, the teacher, return to the, the Dharma, return to the, what we study every day in this monastery, and return to the community, which is, you. this is a spiritual community. You live here. And anybody you talk to that is here or lives here, their intention on some level more maybe some with some than others is to see the truth see what this is using the these uh, ancient uh wisdom teachings which don't aren't about believing in anything final question if there is one chisho uh for a person who has seen through the duality 
not two, what arises for them or anything arises at all for them? Bhavan? Everything arises. All the confusion, all the all the, the clarity, all the everything arises. But there's no longer uh, picking and choosing happening there. Unless the what is arising starts to pick you, which that can happen too. But since there's no when I say you, your body mind complex can get can get involved in something without you actually wanting to do that or going that direction. But it's very uh, it's very specific to the karma of that person, to the the the, uh, the causes and conditions that are still arising within that that one who is seeing their true nature. When they're seeing their true nature, they're seeing your true nature too. They're seeing everything all at once, past and future, shrink into, into just this. And even this is uh, questionable. When I say it's questionable, I'm just saying there's no attachment to it. So this is why if you took 15, 20 people or whatever who seemed to or taught or talked in such a way that it looked like they were Dharma teachers, uh, they would show up so many different ways and sometimes it's called crazy wisdom because it's it comes it manifests as the very difficulty or confusion or even neurosis that was originally the case with that situation that that person that starts to be show up as wisdom so therefore one teacher may be very calm and cool <laughs> easy to handle easy to be around uh Another teacher, maybe some somebody who can't even find them. They're a teacher, but somehow they're as uh, Covencino was. He was hard to. At least it was for me. He was always hiding somewhere. Didn't he hide quite a bit? I could know. No. See, agreed with me. <laughs> <laughs> so, and he's he's correct. He didn't for, for him, but he did for me. He was very, very nice to most people. Wulong bowing. Wulong. Um, you mentioned all at once. You've mentioned all at once in the past as well. What, what is all at once without multiplicity? It's just a way of talking about it. We have, we have words and the words are our concepts and their languages, just, just going from one language to the next and seeing the different way sound is moved this way or that way in order to say, convey the same idea, the same concept. So it's all at once. So that very word all at once is also, it's a way of addressing uh, people and their tendency to cling on to uh, past and future and uh and linear the linear quality that seems to be time that we're kind of moving through time and doesn't seem to be the case all at once everything all at once as coben translating the heart sutra falling apart falling apart but nothing to do everything all at once but even that's extra language what is extra saying that there's a once very good thank you and trade to all places so that we and every sentient being together can realize the Buddha's way. Dissolve any negative energy or devices. Fill everything and everyone with light. 
We shield and protect with light our teachers, monks, students, and all practitioners of the Dharma, our families and friends, and negative forces and energy from now on. Help us to realize the truth of the Buddha's teachings. If you value the teachings of Sokozan, and you would like to support his teaching work and the functions of Sokukoji Buddhist Temple Monastery, which also supports monk and practice residents, please consider giving a donation by visiting our website at sokukoji.org.